stop right there. I'm in. You are? Just like that? Yeah. I, I need friends. Welcome to the Suicide Squadcast. This is the DC Universe podcast where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. Yeah, we're big fans of what DC Comics is doing on the big and small screens, and we want to make sure we talk all about it. So thanks for joining us tonight, and let's get started. My name is Tim. And I'm Scott, and we are the Suicide Squadcast. So Tim, how's your week been going? Oh, not too bad. You know, as it was it was actually kind of nice, you know, uh, project-wise at work. I got past that real big event, and uh, I was looking to have a pretty relaxed week this past week, but I got something thrown on me on Tuesday, so I ended up working until uh, about 10 p.m., which was unexpected, but I was able to catch every single show of DC TV's Invasion crossover, which was just a ton of fun. Definitely enjoyed it. Who are you, and what'd you do with Tim? <laughs> I'm sorry, Tim never watches TV live. No, no, no. What's 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 going on here? No, that's not true. I've been I've been doing a lot of flying on planes, and so that gives me a chance to get caught up on these shows. You know, I just download them and have them on my little phone and watch them while I fly. So I, I am all 100% fully caught up on DC TV on the CW. I have no idea who you are anymore. <laughs> I, I don't know who you are anymore. I don't know you. No. I'm, I'm fully caught up and I expect to be caught up the rest of the way. So Gotham is a different subject. I'm definitely behind on that. But now that once we go on to winter break, I'm going to get all caught up on that and Preacher as well. So, so yeah, I'm feeling I'm feeling much better than I usually am at this point in time in the season for TV. But how about you? What, what have you been up to? Uh, just on the countdown the Christmas break. I've got <laughs> two more weeks of work before I get two weeks off. But I got to sit down and watch uh, my SEC championship game tonight because there, there's this sport called football <laughs> that I'm sure you're very familiar with. Yes. I was really afraid it was going to be a night game and I was going to have to like be distracted during recording. Luckily, it ended up being an afternoon game and we won. Yep, congratulations. Yay, yay. Thank you. Thank you. I was excited. And so, yeah, it's just been a nice slow week. It's kind of cool though. I, I'm i kind of part of this Warner Brothers A-list community sort of like feedback program that they do. Mm-hmm. And this week, I actually got like a free voodoo copy of Suicide Squad and I'm going to do some product testing for watching digital movies on phones and tablets. So I'm, one, I was really cool to get a free copy of the movie Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I'm looking forward to watching it again on my device and then looking to see what kind of feedback they're going to ask me about. I've been doing this for like over a year now and it's just Mm -hmm. really kind of cool like some of the stuff that I feel like I'm actually part of Warner Brothers kind of shaping their marketing and that kind of thing. So I'm looking forward to like what the questions are and what are they wanting from me from watching the movie on like my tablet. That's interesting because I watch so many of my movies now and shows on my phone, uh, my iPhone and and actually I, I watch them more on my iPhone than I do on my tablet. And I certainly watch more than I do on TV anymore because most of the time I watch these shows, it's just either I'm on a plane flying or I'll actually kind of be in bed and, you know, my wife's asleep and I'm just kind of laying in bed and watching it on my phone. So it's actually been really nice for me anyway. Well, Warner Brothers actually has their own app now. It's yeah. called Movie uh, Movies All Access, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting because one of my little A-list community things was about like naming and branding the app. And this was like six months ago or something. And now the app is out there. You can download it on uh, the Google Play Store or, or the or the iTunes Store. And so I think they're kind of feeling out like, is their app delivering what, you know, they think the consumer base wants? So I'm really interested in playing with it and seeing. So all my all my DC Films movies and all my Harry Potter movies that I have uh, are available through this new app. And I'm just, I'm really interested in giving it a test drive. Okay, well, I'm curious to see what they do with that. I, I wonder, is it going to be like a, uh, like kind of a studio exclusive kind of thing, like with Voodoo? would be, but just with Warner Brothers movies? Well, I'm wondering because the the, the Voodoo exclusive special features that you get through iOS and Android, uh, you're getting the exact same special features through this Warner Brothers app. Oh, okay. So I want, so I'm wondering if I'm thinking maybe that's where they're going with it. I think this is going to tie into like our first story. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so how about you get us started on that? Because I, I think that's a great segue, actually. Yeah, very good. Yeah, because when you, when you mentioned that, it made me think of that. What is it? Uh, Disney and Anywhere or Disney Anytime, whatever it's called. Disney Movies Anywhere, yes. Yeah, so I wonder if this is the, this kind of version of that. I want, yeah. Well, let's go ahead and lead into the story. Yeah, so uh, so we actually had at the Credit Suisse Technology Media and Telecom Conference in Scottsdale, Arizona, we had the Warner Brothers CEO, Kevin Sujahara, did a little Q&A session here, and I actually found the audio. It was about, I don't know, it was about 41 minutes or so, and I listened to the raw audio because there was a bunch of stories that came out of this thing uh, that you saw, and uh, which really started in the rap and then it led to um, a lot of other stories 
series I kind of led from that and uh, some of the comic book sites and all that. But so at this at this little conference here, Sujahara, he kind of really went on to talk about what Warner Brothers strategy is. And he said, really, if you just talk about three years ago, the top 10 films that were out there made up 25% of the total box office in a given year. And he talked about in this year, the top 10 films comprise of 30%. So what he's basically saying is that because of the proliferation of prestige TV, you know, between like, say, probably like Netflix or just even on like AMC and those kind of things that you're really seeing film really moved a lot more towards a spectacle type of event. And and that's, you know, the way that it could offer something different than TV. And he said, if you look at what's happening with the quality of television, the movies that are breaking through are the really big franchises. And he said, you know, that only Disney has a comparable selection of big franchises as Warner Brothers. And so he's really trying to say uh, at this conference that they're trying to, to kind of put themselves at the level of what has made Disney so successful. Yeah, because I, w- I was kind of curious because when he says that uh, only Disney has a comparable selection, I would almost argue Disney has a larger selection and that Warner Brothers is trying to put themselves on Disney's level, especially if you consider that Disney has just the Disney brand itself, plus Marvel, plus Star Wars. I right. mean, that's that's a lot of ammo to have in your in your in your belt there, sir. Yeah. And it's I mean, you got to remember, this is part of what his job is, is he's he's got to make sure that they're a premier studio. And uh, so that's, you know, let's be honest, that's their target right now. You know, Disney was a very successful brand on its own, but it was it was a singular brand. And then they had purchased, you know, Lucasfilm and they purchased uh, Marvel Studios. And so they've really got three main parts of their studio. I mean, these are three huge franchises for Disney. And Warner Brothers right now is, is trying to make that DC brand one of those um, very strong franchises. So, you know, we're well on our way with that. And then, of course, uh, you know, they're leaning pretty heavily on the Harry Potter side. So, you know, they don't really have that third big franchise yet. And so that's basically what Kevin is trying to do is say that, you know, this is where we're trying to head. And, and he's trying to sell it to investors that, you know, they're going to be basically at the same level as what Disney is. Okay. Well, uh, now, what I understood is that he was talking about his strategy, or at least what Warner Brothers strategy is right now to, you know, take advantage of that because he did and we had this conversation like a year ago mm-hmm. I, when you were telling me about this before we went on on air I was like I remember uh, I remember this conversation and Sujihara saying some of the exact same things mm-hmm. but he talked about the conference how when he took over Warner Brothers DC was really kind of reserved for the movies mm-hmm. or if something came up movie wise that meant if DC was being used on any other sort of Warner Brothers thing like TV or some such that they all took a backseat to the movies and that Sujihara's first order of business was basically to make DC as an intellectual property a company-wide resource and needing to set up a, a consumer products opportunity because Sujihara was admitting Disney kicks butt and takes names when it comes to consumer products. Right. They can market the ever-loving you-know-what out of anything and turn it into product to sell outside of the films themselves. Yeah, and that was one of the things Kevin had said is he sees that, in his words, there are hundreds of millions of revenue just from DC products alone and the consumer product side. And so this is this is basically the point of what he did when he came in is to make sure that DC, which he recognized was, you know, had a huge brand potential across all the different uh, avenues that they could deliver content. You know, we're talking about films, we're talking about TV, we're talking about consumer products, we're talking about video gaming. And so he said, you know, we need to just take advantage of this across the board. And so in the great thing about that is, you know, if, if you build up a follower base, uh, you know, for the DC brand, it's going to it's going to pay off in so many different avenues. And so that's really what that's what his strategy was here. And and, uh, and he said that they have actually doubled the profitability that they have had in the past generated with DC by using a strategy. Well, I really feel like DC Superhero Girls plays into this. For sure. For sure. I mean, I, I when you say that, I'm thinking about their way of going with the comics and the young adult novels and the toys and some of the toy lines that I think are either Target exclusive or maybe start off Target exclusive and now you can find at other toy stores and them being webisodes and DVDs. I mean, I really feel like that DC Superhero Girls is I, almost the epitome of what Sujihara wants to be able to do at Warner Brothers because that is a cash cow waiting to happen. Oh, definitely. And in fact, that was like one of the that was one of the early sells of this whole this whole uh, strategy and this brand just go after basically that demographic of the young girls 
Turtles and all that. And I kind of feel like they've also done that with, um, you know, Teen Titans Go. And we've, we've talked about this guy. I mean, it's such, it's such a tremendously successful program, especially for for that young audience. My, my daughter absolutely adores that show. She loves it. She's seven years old. And now my son is asking for it all the time. And he's four, you know, so it's appealing to that that youth. And, you know, that's going to last a lifetime. I mean, it's going to last a lifetime like it did with us. My three-year-old can name, you know, Marv Wolfman, George Perez characters. <laughs> right. And it's only because of Teen Titans Go. Yeah. And I know people will complain about that show, uh, but it's like, but you can understand their point of view, which is they want our three-year-olds and our four-year-olds and our five-year-olds. Mm-hmm. That's who that show is marketed for. And then for adults who have an interesting sense of humor that even my wife, who was just listening to it in the background while my son's watching it, and she's kind of snickering yeah. at some of the humor. I, I totally believe, I mean, this, this is all, it's all part of the plan. It is, yeah. It really is. It really is. It, I mean, because like I said just a moment ago, the, the love that I developed as a kid for for DC superheroes and all that. I mean, I'm doing a podcast right now about it. You know, I've, I've been a lifelong fan of DC because of like what I'd cultivated as a child and all that. So, you know, that that is a sound strategy and I'm so happy to see DC doing it and they're, you know, about ready to continue with uh, Just League action here. But let's kind of maybe go back a little bit more towards the strategy here with DC with Warner Brothers. And so, Sujihara had, he went on to say that, you know, he recognizes that when it comes to home entertainment that they're now at a point now where the amount of money that they generate, the revenue that they generate with digital sales is now equal to the amount of money they generate with physical sales. And he says that trend uh, is very much going to flip here very soon and that'll be primarily digital sales. And so this is real important to them is to make sure they have an avenue to basically reach the consumer and whatever different platform they can, you know, as many different ways as they can basically touch base with that with that consumer to just build up revenue here. So now, so part of that is really kind of leading on to what they're doing with DC. And so uh, what he sees for Warner Brothers side of Time Warner here is that their primary growth is really going to focus in on uh, what he said was going to be kids DC and Harry Potter. And so that's like real important for them to kind of really build up that fan base uh, very early on with people. And so what they've recognized is that they need to create more direct-to-consumer relationships and what he described as having more touch points with the consumer. And so this is the exact reason that they bought Machinima and Drama Fever. And, you know, before we kind of go further, let's play the clip here that we actually got. Now, I, I tracked down the audio of this, and I want to make sure you guys get to hear exactly what the context was of everything that he said, because this is going to kind of lead to, you know, some of the discussion that we've seen out in media this past week about um, DC having like a, a streaming service. So let's go ahead and listen to that. So uh, it's obviously a year to go before that transaction um, gets toast to closing. So presumably, obviously, you're going to be running the businesses separately. But um, I mean, are there um, are there initiatives that um, you can pursue as Warner Brothers, as Time Warner, standalone in the next 12 months, indirect consumer to get closer to the consumer um, that you could maybe talk about? Oh, oh yeah. We, I mean, that was part of the reason why we bought Machinima. Um, it's why we bought Drama Fever. We, we viewed those as important pieces that, ha- that reach very specific demos but give us capabilities to be able to deliver our content because we viewed and said, look, let's look at where we have super fans around our, our intellectual property and say, let's create a DC direct-to-consumer opportunity. And, and so we've, want, we've been building those capabilities and, and said to ourselves, we have to be able to do that because we're creating so much content and there's such a rabid fan base for it who are looking for more and more and more. We can uniquely give it to them. And if it has an ancillary benefit of it's a great marketing platform for the next DC movie or next DC television show. So we've been, we've been working on that quite, quite feverishly over the last 12 months and we're going to. And so how does Machinima fit into this? I mean, for perhaps people in the room that aren't familiar with that business, it's just bought. It's, it's a very, very focused game um, platform that I think gives us a lot of, again, huge touch points with a very specific audience that is perfect for DC. Um, and so we recently bought that. We think it's, it's going to give us a lot of marketing opportunities um, because the hardest thing to, to do now when you're looking at how do I create a really big franchise around something is it's getting harder and harder to find yet the young male demo or the young female demo for that, for that matter. So the more things and, and assets that you have in your arsenal that, that touch those, those consumers, um, the better. And Machinima 
is very clearly has a great consumer relationship with them. All right. So, Scott, what did you hear from this clip from Kevin? Well, my takeaway is, because we already talked about the purchase of Machinima last week, mm-hmm. and what it sounds like is, one, they want to go after the younger demo. Mm-hmm. They know, like we were kind of just talking, they got to hook them young, mm-hmm. like any franchise. That's why Disney's so successful. Right. The, the, Disney's brand is almost entirely centered around getting you when you're young, mm-hmm. and they recognize that the sort of online services. Now, I'm familiar with Machinima, barely. I have never heard of Drama Fever until tonight. Mm -hmm. So, but I'm also old, so (laughs) it's obviously not targeted to me. And the idea is, we need to get this content in these places where the younger people already are. Mm -hmm. Basically, Machinima and, I'm assuming, Drama Fever already have a built-in audience and Mm -hmm. a built-in fan base. And his idea is we just need to pump our content and our advertising through these streams. So that we can expose a younger demo to Warner Brothers franchises and Warner Brothers products. Right. That was my takeaway from Sujihara's comments. Yeah. And he basically said that, you know, they, they have to be able to do that because they're creating so much DC-related content at this point. And he recognizes that there's such a rabid fan base for it. You know, and this fan base just wants more and more of it. And he says, you know, with this, they can actually give it to him. And like you said, yeah, this is going to be their primary reason for this is going to be a marketing platform uh, so that they can basically use it as a springboard to advertise and promote the next DC movie or television show. And so he said, you know, for the past 12 months, they've been feverishly working towards this. And now that they've purchased Machinima and it's now part of Warner Brothers, he says they're actually, you know, they are going to do it. And so they're looking for this rabid fan base and, you know, so that they can make this direct-to-consumer services, you know, that it actually caters to. So nothing in this that I heard from what Kevin said, said anything about this being any kind of pay service or any kind of like exclusive streaming type of type of service that, you know, you'd have to pay for. Like, you know, I saw a lot of comparisons this past week that DC was trying to create their own Hulu or Netflix and all that. And and that's not at all what I heard from this quote. Well, not only is it not what I heard, it also would make absolutely no sense. Sujihara specifically said that this idea of this direct-to-consumer product, this, you know, machinima type of thing, was to hit a young demo. Mm-hmm. If you're going to hit a younger demo, a younger demo is not on board for a paid service. Not at all. A younger demo is is the brand is the part of the consumer base that's like, give me something for nothing, or I will find some way legally or illegally to get something for nothing. Mm-hmm. So it would not, if that is their intent, is to hit that younger audience, then it doesn't make business sense to make it a paid service because you're going after the people who either don't want to pay or can't pay right for the for those services so you want something that's more youtube-ish or something where you can just log you can get online and it's just there right that's what it that's what it sounds like to me plus based on his stated goals in that clip that is what would make sense right and that's the thing too if you let's say you or i were part of this rabid dc fan base that he's talking about you know if they had some kind of exclusive content and all that and then if we were subscribers that were going to actually pay to to get this exclusive kind of streaming service. Advertising on that is not going to encourage us to go see a DC film or watch a DC TV show any more so than we already do. So, I mean, it, it, that makes no sense. So I'm, I completely agree. Everything I heard Kevin say and everything that makes kind of business sense here is that this is just going to be just an avenue, much like the CW, the CW app. It's just a way for you to kind of reach out and actually help promote your shows to the fan base. It's like DC All Access app as well. So, you know, I, I just see this as another way way of just really kind of like like pump exposure to that younger fan base and you know the dc properties well and, and speaking about the cw app i mean removing the cw show i mean the cw app was always there mm-hmm. it just was not very convenient for cord cutters mm-hmm. to you know like i couldn't project it onto my television you know that kind of thing uh which made me not use the app i used hulu mm-hmm. well when they cut hulu and then upgraded their cw app it, it, that made me that made the cw app like the go 
go to now mm-hmm. for me to watch. Like sometimes I don't even bother bother watching a show live because I know I'm going to have that app there, and with my Apple TV or my iPad, I'm going to be able to watch it in nice crystal clear HD, no problem. So they've got to play to an audience who's even younger than us, who are who are even more entrenched in this technology and just want the convenience or just want the stuff that's free and they need to be able to hook them to to make them the fans like we are now right so (laughs) this is just a long way of us basically explaining that our take you know because we went back to the source audio and all that and you know and basically what we see that kind of makes sense is we don't ever expect this to be a pay service okay so bucks done yeah are we are we down we're down okay okay (laughs) uh so movie news not a lot i would argue there are are gonna be some high points here i would say uh what did jai courtney apparently was having some fun on the internet this week <laughs> uh yeah he was so he actually got interviewed by josh wildling from we got this covered and uh so one of the questions that came up was you know what is this potential for a suicide squad sequel and jai either being you know trying to play dumb or he generally doesn't know his response was that they keep their cards very close to their chest and that he has no idea he hopes the answer is yes he says he doesn't feel like he's done playing boomerang i hope not yeah definitely not <laughs> i hope not <laughs> it said he had a, had a ton of fun playing him uh, he doesn't feel like anyone is is done with that franchise talking about Suicide Squad certainly not yet and so he's hoping that it's going to be sooner rather than later uh, he said but right now uh, the studio is very busy at the moment David Ayer is directing something else at this time and he says but he, he's sure they have plans but nothing that they've actually shared with him so but yeah I mean let's face it 745 million dollars worldwide I mean a sequel is in the bag it's in the bag it's, it's going to be fast track they're not they're not going to wait long to do it because you know you know they're going to do it while it's fresh in people's minds so absolutely yeah i definitely want jai back i i so much enjoyed his character in suicide i want him in the flash movie i really do yes (laughs) (laughs) so whoever that new director is that whoever they're interviewing right now i want i want them i want them to listen to me now put jai courtney in there please yeah definitely okay moving on so the promotion of the new social media uh, service called vero is continuing with clay enos and Zack snyder and so both of these guys are have kind of moved over uh, away from instagram and uh, and twitter as their primary source for actually putting out some of this little behind the scenes content and we got this cool little image that clay enos took and he posted on vero of it was joel kinnaman firing his weapon and uh so it's and i don't remember was this an actual shot from the film i wouldn't be surprised if it was i mean it it looks like it was during that first confrontation with the eyes of the adversary yeah that, that's what it looks like to me. Yeah. But you know, you get this cool. You know, you get the you get the flame shooting out. And you get the the shells, empty shells, the spent shells. Yeah. You know, ejecting from his from his gun. So yeah. it's it's pretty cool, cool and kinetic looking. Yep, definitely cool. And then the one that Zach, to, not to be outdone, he put out an image of a Nightmare Batman, and uh, I love this image. <laughs> it's just from like the kind of neck down, and it shows him holding what looks like an uh, assault rifle of some sort. But he's got a little Joker uh, picture kind of like wrapped around the butt of the. The rifle. No, oh, it's the it's the Joker card. I mean, it's a Joker it, card, yeah, yeah, and uh, something else tied around. I mean, it's basically just giving us a better shot at everything that we knew was there anyway, right? But it's just beautiful looking, nice HD shot. It's a great image. So anyway, uh, Suicide Squad cast has a Vero account, so you can look for us there, and you can follow us there. We, we're not posting anything, but we're there. <laughs> <laughs> this this is unfortunately becoming a habit with us. We have the, we have these accounts. It's like uh, that's what that's why I'm on Facebook because yeah. if we, I I didn't do anything with Facebook, nothing would happen. Yeah, and and we just wanted to make sure we we're there just in case. <laughs> if this thing takes off, we've got the account reserved. But I actually, uh, I am, you know, I am checking it quite often though. I, you know, I want to see what uh, these guys are posting. Okay, so I, I don't know why I find this incredibly hilarious, <laughs> but naked Jai Courtney chasing David Ayer around the set. It's hilarious. Um, is it is hilarious. I'm, I've already seen like the photoshops of like them editing naked Jai Courtney into like. Like the airport battle is from Captain America: Civil War, <laughs> and it's just—I uh, feel like this is like a whole, this is like Zack Attack yes. all over again. <laughs> Oh, I'm just glad nobody's photoshopping it on or like the Suicide Squad cast image or anything. Uh, don't. Why did you say that? I will cut that out. <laughs> so this thing actually happened. Uh, Conan O'Brien actually brought this up and, you know, he had heard the story and asked Jai Courtney about it when he had him on a show. And Courtney came back and he says, you know, when you're shooting a big movie, it takes a lot of time to get things done. You're chilling out. And uh, he said David would just walk into his trailer uninvited. And so one day, one day walks in, he has no clothes on and 
and he said, you know, I'm sure there was a logical reason why David Ayer walked in, but he says, look, I'm impulsive. So I went after him and he chased him outside, basically. And uh, Jay Hernandez, who was who played Diablo, was egging him on. He's saying, go sick him, boy, sick him. So apparently this was a story that kind of got out there. Well, apparently Cinema Blend had actually found some photographic proof of this. And sure enough, there's a picture of David Ayer, all dressed in black, running, and there's a naked Jai Courtney chasing him. <laughs> and it's hilarious. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah. So they're crazy. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that. I, lo- I love the little memes that have kind of come out of this. Oh, gosh. Okay. Can, can, look, we need to get back to the serious news. Yes, Tim. we do. Very serious. Let's, let's get serious. Um, so, John Cleese update. Yes. Because, um, and now for something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it has, uh, Dennis Lamb on Twitter has spotted the fact that John Cleese has now followed Zack Snyder and Ben Affleck on Twitter. We'd already noticed people were following John Cleese, and now John Cleese is following them back. Right. So, and I think it's really telling when you see the names that he's following. Mm-hmm. It really makes me feel like something up with John Cleese and Justice League. Yeah. I really feel like that. Yeah, and it's kind of funny. I mean, I know some people kind of laugh at uh, the, the whole idea of internet sleuths, you know, uncovering this stuff. But, look, you know, let's be real. This has been a highly successful. Accurate. <laughs> accurate, successful way of trying to, like, determine some of these things going on behind the scenes that, you know, haven't been announced yet. I mean, we had uh, Joe Manganiello that. That was how people started finding some stuff out about him being connected to the DCEU. Uh, who else? We had Seth Graham Smith. We had Rick Famuyiwa. Rick Famuyiwa. So, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is kind of a tried and true way of, um, you know, just doing a little detective work and, and uh, you know, finding out some of these connections. So, you know, I, I think I think there is something to this. You know, I, we were kind of hoping for it last week, but, you know, this, it's good to see some continued evidence, you know, kind of building up here. Oh, by the way, did you hear the other? Now, we had talked like new gods for John Cleese. Did you hear the other internet rumor of like ideas of who John Cleese could play and I actually like their idea better hmm. Wintergreen oh Wintergreen okay that's interesting that could, I, that I could, really that liked that idea be. when I heard it I was like oh my god that's that's better than my idea I like that yeah I do like that so yeah that could very well be the case uh, that would be awesome actually I know which would really tie into the Ben Affleck thing if he's with De- if he's you know Deathstroke's butler yes exactly could, could you imagine like John Cleese versus Jeremy Irons <laughs> oh please I'm make ca- it happen I'm calling it celebrity death match oh Jeff Johns, Ben Affleck, please make it happen. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you you were talking about this Amy Adams thing about playing Lois. Let's talk about that. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Amy Adams was on Variety. They had a thing where, like, actors were interviewing actors. And so Andrew Garfield of Social Network and Amazing Spider-Man fame was um, interviewing Amy Adams. And she had some comments about playing Lois. And these were what she said. She said, you're doing something in service of something. The character is serving the story or serving a canon. That's a tricky thing with Lois Lane that I find. I love playing her. I love everyone I work with. But sometimes it's tricky because I feel she's in service of the story instead of the story serving a character. That can be tricky. When you show up and you really want to retain a character and you have to serve the story, does that make sense? In a perfect universe, they all work together. I always want to service the story, but I want to feel supported in the character as well. Mm-hmm. That's what she said. So she hated playing Lois. Oh, shut up. Because <laughs> that's, <what laughs> that's what I read in the headlines. Yes, that's what they read in the headlines. And, and to be <laughs> honest, I didn't even know about this until uh, Rebecca Johnson, yeah. you know, at Derby Kid on Twitter, she went on a tirade love you Rebecca and she was like I am sick and tired of this no she's just making the point that you know in these big franchises characters do what the story needs them to do the story doesn't stop to do what the character might want or need and that's all she was saying she's she's not bashing playing Lois she's just kind of talking about as an actor how playing a character in these kind of films is just a different animal than other films yeah and so so, God, stop with the clickbaity headline. I know. Please. This is the thing, and we always tell our listeners this. Always go to the source material. Go read it for yourself. <laughs> You're going to make yourself so much better off and make yourself feel better if you actually go back to the original material on all these things. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, so let's talk about some uh, some Aquaman because yes. there was some – there's some – significant news we got this week. Yeah, so we have a working title now for Aquaman. It's Aquaman, right? Because <laughs> no, that's what no, the no. movie's going to be called. Yeah, <laughs> no. So it actually comes from a publication called Production Weekly, and it listed that the W slash T, which is working title for Aquaman, is Ahab. Now, Scott, you are Mr. Literature here. Can you give us a quick background on who Ahab is? Ahab would be an allusion to Moby Dick by Herman Melville. Yep. He is the captain who is obsessed with killing the white whale. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That is your English lesson for today. 
Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. I, I always love hearing these things. And like, what was the Wonder Woman one? It was like Nightingale. Yes, it was Nightingale. So I always thought of that with like Florence Nightingale. Right. It was probably yep. yes. So that's always cool. I like hearing that stuff. Uh, we actually have a release date finally announced for Aquaman, and Aquaman is going to come out in 2018. And the release date is a date that we had heard reserved by Warner Brothers in the past for an untitled DC DC film. This is October 5th of 2018. Sweet. Now a lot of people are saying that this film had been bumped back and I want to temper that and say that there has never been a date announced for what Aquaman was going to be. What was pretty popular on the internet was that Aquaman was going to fill the 2018 July 27th slot. That has never been announced by anybody. That was just, you know, internet speculation on this. So, you know, I you know, Warner Brothers for the DC Films properties has reserved many different dates here and so up to this point that just gives them a lot of flexibility, you know, to work out schedules and all that and figure out where these things fit in best. And so, um, that now leaves open that original date that they had reserved that people assumed was Aquaman is actually going to be July 27th of 2018. So Scott, could that be the solo Batman film? I sure, I sure as heck hope so. Yeah. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> I, mean, it's just, I just want my Batman, but yes. But the, also the cool thing about Aquaman having that October 5th slot mm-hmm. is that it gives it a full month run in the theaters before an untitled Fox Marvel movie is scheduled to debut on November 2nd, mm-hmm. which is then followed about two weeks later by the sequel to Fantastic Beasts, which would be another Warner Brothers property. Yeah. So Warner Brothers is really hoping to make a bank in the fall of 2018 mm-hmm. uh, season. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so we still have two films or two, at least two dates in 2018 that have not been officially filled. The assumption was Flash was going to debut in March 16th of 2018. Uh, we're still not entirely sure if they're going to be able to still make that date or not, but we'll, we'll see if that's a case. You know, it's entirely possible Flash could move over to uh, July, but uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that. But, you know, we're hoping uh, the solo Batman film is one of those two dates. Now, okay, now you had a you had a story that about Jason Momoa, since we're kind of on this Aquaman train, sure. that you kind of felt like you needed to get off your chest. So, yeah, I, I give you I give you the mic, sir. OK, this is just another case that was pretty annoying to me. We had a story going around that Jason Momoa was talking about how Aquaman, the character he's can play as Aquaman, is relatable because he's from two different worlds. And so there was a, a little video clip that went out and it's and it's a great little interview. It's actually sitting down with Tom Power for CBC Radio. That would be the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Yes, yes. Thank you for clarifying that. So it's a great interview. It's a it's a nice little studio interview. Um, those are always kind of my favorite. It's done in a really nice, like kind of like intimate setting, intimate setting. Thank you. But the problem is the Internet clip that was going around the Internet and it shows Momoa talking about playing this character from two different worlds. And and actually, I liked what he said, you know, and then I'll go ahead and quote it. He says he can it's kind of like being an outcast. Uh, you see, he wasn't really accepted. And then he goes on and says, I wasn't too accepted. You know, there weren't too many races where he actually grew up. Uh, no Chinese, no Mexican, no black. He says he grew up in Iowa and he graduated with like 100 people. But he said he's actually born in Hawaii. And so sometimes he would go to visit his father and he just wasn't accepted by uh, the locals in Hawaii just because he wasn't, you know, raised in Hawaii. And he, so the point he was basically making is that he was kind of an outcast in real life and uh, Jason Momoa and that he really can appreciate this thing about not really fitting into two different worlds. And so people had heard this little clip from this interview and assumed he was talking about Aquaman. Because it would fit. It, it, would, it would fit. fit. It would Aqu- fit. Yeah. It would fit with Aquaman, but, he, but that's not what he was talking no, about. No, he was not at all talking about Aquaman. And I noticed a bunch of the, you know, the, the comic sites claiming that he was talking about Aquaman. I can assure you, he was not talking about Aquaman at all. <laughs> he was talking about, you know, the role that he's playing in the new series Frontier on TV. And it's it's a character playing Declan Harp. So <laughs> it's just one of those things. Again, people, I just implore you, go back to the source material and all this stuff. Now, it was really interesting because uh, because he was in uh, Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada. Uh, there was actually a new uh, follower on Twitter we got. His name was Travis Hines, at Travis underscore 156. He actually direct messaged me today and was talking about how he actually ran into Momoa at a local hockey rink where he was playing with a cast of Frontier. But what he did say regarding Aquaman was he's excited to bring the badass back to Aquaman. <laughs> and apparently James Wan is also looking in the Canadian province of Newfoundland and Labrador for some Aquaman filming locations as well. So, cool. Travis, thanks for that little tidbit as well. I really appreciate reading that this morning. Uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I cannot wait to see what he does. I mean, anytime I see him interviewed, I just I just love <laughs> just love listening to him, you know, kind of talk. I mean, he's just such a such a down-to-earth guy and I just can't wait to see, you know, the the kind of the badassness that he brings to playing Aquaman. Now, moving on, 
we've got more Twitter sleuthing going on. Mm -hmm. Apparently, this week, Jeff Johns and Joe Maganello both started following Army Hammer, who, if you don't know who Army Hammer is, he was originally going to play Batman in George Miller's canceled Justice League movie, Mm -hmm. and he played opposite Henry Cavill in last year's The Man from U.N.C.L.E. feature film. Right. And then people noticed that then Army Hammer followed Jeff Johns back. Mm -hmm. So we got some possible other casting news going on with uh, with this and I'm just I'm just getting excited because I really enjoyed him in Man from Uncle. Yeah. He was really fun. Well, and he's been on Warner Brothers radar for quite a while. Uh, you know, they've been wanting to bring him in for this kind of thing. He's got kind of like that look and feel and, and a little bit of um, a, a star appeal that they've been looking for, especially when it comes to like the DC franchise films. And it totally makes totally sense. Now, it's entirely possible these guys were all at a cocktail party and just started chatting and then they started to follow each other on Twitter. But it's probably not the case. I mean, I, I think there there has tended to be something to this in the past where people start, you know, connecting through, you know, social media and all that. And so, you know, I will say this. He also, Army has also recently followed Bernie Sanders. So, you know, it, it, it may be, in fact, he's just getting into politics. So, you know, you never know. You kill joy, you. Yeah, I know. But anyway, as we know, said before, that like, you know, this is this has worked with connections that we've seen with Joe Manganiello, Famiyiwa, and Seth Graham Smith. And there's been others, I'm sure. But so I, I think this would be cool. I'd love to see him. I, I would like to see him maybe as Shazam. Now, these connections wouldn't indicate that, but I mean, I kind of feel like that he can kind of fill that role as well. I don't see that. You don't see that? I, I don't see that. No, I don't. No, I sent out a tweet this past week when I saw the news. I think it's like Friday when I came out. I said, well, you know, what we're going to be hearing on the internet is likely to be that Army Hammer is is going to be replacing Ben Affleck because of creative differences. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. And just like, stop yeah. trolling. Tim. Well, I know I was trying to get out ahead of it in case it started to, you know, form out there. But let's talk about Batman v Superman debuted on HBO. And what was interesting is it actually came in fourth on all of Saturday. Saturday for cable shows for, uh, you know, I guess between the 18 to 49 demographic, it was number four overall in rating, which I was really kind of surprised by because HBO is an add-on to basic cable. The three shows that uh, had actually beat it out on Saturday were all ESPN shows. Yeah, it was all college football. All college yeah. football stuff. So this was uh, this was pretty shocking to me that it actually did that well. And it was a theatrical release, too. It was a theatrical too. release, which is a shame, actually. <laughs> I, yeah, you and, you and the internet think so, too, and I agree. It's yeah. like, oh, come on. Yeah, I wish I would have shown the other one. But the other thing I thought was real interesting is when you look at the total viewers, because I think uh, in total viewers, it had two point, a little bit over 2.3 million total viewers on Saturday. Yes. Hallmark actually had somewhere around over 4 million total viewers for one of their shows. And they didn't show up anywhere near to the top of the list because we were looking at the 18 to 49 <laughs> demographic. But I was like surprised the Hallmark channel did that big in numbers. Oh, come on. It's the holiday season. Of course they did that big. I get that. But I mean, it's just, it's a show that I, it's like a channel I never watch. Right. But you're not the demographic. I'm not so the demographic for sure. Get over but, it, sir. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Let's talk quickly about TV because I'm going to be honest with you. If you want the complete breakdown of the invasion crossover on the CW this week, you totally need to tune into DC TV Squadcast. Ray and Brent are going to be talking the ever loving love out of this crossover. <laughs> I'm going to be there. We're recording tomorrow night. I'm so excited. So we're just going to basically start off by saying, Tim, I think it's easy to say we both loved it. Yep. I enjoyed it. Uh, Yes. And apparently we're not the only ones because almost every single episode of the crossover reached some sort of series high as far as ratings are concerned. Yeah. Uh, the Supergirl episode, uh, which was really just a prologue, had ratings on par with the season premiere, uh, which was kind of cool because that had Superman in it. Uh, the Flash installment had an overall ratings that equaled the man in the yellow suit from season one, which if you remember was our first true... Uh, run in with reverse flash and for the demo it equaled uh escape from earth 2 from last season arrow which had its 100th episode was doubling its recent numbers it hit a one-year high which was only which was matching the crossover episode from last year and then legends of tomorrow basically almost came close to matching its series premiere numbers yeah so basically all the shows just it went over like gangbusters in the ratings. 
So needless to say, we will have another crossover event like this, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> if the numbers like this happen, yeah. uh, you better believe CW is going cha-ching, cha-ching, yeah. cha-ching. Now, uh, we're not going to talk about it in detail here because there's probably a lot of our viewers, especially over in Europe, that haven't seen any of this stuff yet. So we won't get into it. But I know you'll talk about it on the show tomorrow with Brent and Ray. Uh, I do want to give you my quick overall view of this. For what it was, I enjoyed it. It very much felt like kind of a miniseries event in the comic books to me. What took me a little bit out of it, and it's only because I've been enjoying the seasons, especially Arrow the season. It just felt completely out of place with what Arrow was doing, which is fine because as long as this kind of stays this little self-contained story, I'm totally okay with it. You know, I mean, those were always like the best kind of crossover events in the comics that, you know, this, the little, the crossover miniseries could stand on its own and it didn't really affect the rest of the story. And that's certainly what I'm hoping to see here. But yeah, I mean, I think for what it was, it was just the kooky little, you know, alien invasion kind of thing, which, which I just thought was a ton of fun. However, that 100th episode of arrow man it hit me in the feels yeah. i'll tell you that right now yeah i will say that not only do i think personally i think arrow is the best show this season i didn't say i certainly didn't say that last year that episode episode 100 which was part three of the crossover event was phenomenal it was it was such such a great watch and man i tell you what it's to me though that just completely made the series and made the the crossover event was that one show it, it but oh. yeah it definitely gave me the feels <laughs> now interesting enough uh when Kreisberg was was being interviewed about the Flash because it Flash is going to have its mid season finale this coming Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there's a new problem that's going to be introduced in the finale that the heroes were anticipating, and Kreisberg is saying that it is such a big problem, it's such a big event that the production team is actually talking about changing the saga cell from talking about Flashpoint to talking about whatever is going to happen in the mid season finale. Mm-hmm. And once again, if you don't know what a saga cell is that's that my name is barry allen and i'm the fastest man alive you know i and back i ran back in time to save my mother it's that little like yeah little this is what the season's about this is what the season's about they're talking about changing that based on what's going to happen in the mid-season finale which just makes me really intrigued about what is this mid-season finale going to be because let's be honest mid-season finales which for the flash are always those christmas episodes mm-hmm. i mean man in the yellow suit and oh the the inner zoom like they're always like big episode. So I'm I'm looking forward to like what we have in store for us. Yeah. I'm definitely enjoying Flash this year as well and uh I can uh, just seeing this quote from Kreisberg. I, I have so much anticipation for is it's actually what next week? Is it next week? It's it's Tuesday. It's it Tuesday. Tuesday. It sir. is Tuesday. Yeah. So I can't wait to see what that's actually going to be. Uh to just to quickly hit a couple other points cuz they're kind of one's a stop with the clickbait. <laughs> okay. Mark Guggenheim was being interviewed by Entertainment Weekly and they asked him if there had been any regrets in writing Arrow. And he said, well, of course, we've had done 100 episodes. I have 100 episodes worth of regrets. But he said his biggest regret was the way that the Elicity storyline unfolded in season four. How it unfolded. Now, a lot of people, of course, are tagging onto the Elicity hate. And the headlines would make you say that he he regrets the Elicity storyline. He didn't say that. Guggenheim said that he felt like the pacing was off and they rushed it and it did not play out naturally, which I would completely agree with. Yes. But let's be very clear about what Guggenheim is regretting. Not Elicity, but the pace of it. Mm -hmm. Just putting that out there. Yeah, and I agree 100%. I mean, I think his assessment is exactly my feelings as well. You know, I I didn't have a problem with the relationship between Oliver and and Felicity, but it definitely felt like it was rushed way too much last year. And so, yeah, I mean, he's he's completely on the pulse of probably the average viewer here. Okay. And this is kind of fun. Little Supergirl news. A classic Superman villain will be appearing in season two of Supergirl. Mr. Mrs. Spitalik will be appearing. Wait, wait, wait. What did you say? Mixy Spitalik? Mixy Spitalik? Mr. Mixy Spitalik. Tomato, tomato. I mean, let's... (laughs) Yes, that that little that little imp from the fifth dimension will be visiting the show. And I'm looking forward to seeing how they tend to pronounce his name, because I swear, every time this character appears in some form of media, you get a different pronunciation of his name. Yeah. And I always go back to uh, Julie Schwartz, the great comic book editor from, God, what, like, 70s? Was was? Oh, no, he was he was the Silver Age. I mean, Was he 60s? Yeah. He was 60s, 70s. I mean, he, he, he I would even say mid-50s, because he was there for the creation of Barry Allen Flash and right. Hal okay. Jordan Green Lantern. Yeah, so, so 50s, 60s, 70s. So I always kind of go back to 
him because I remember some kind of comic where, uh, you know, they had the little letter columns in the back and somebody had asked a question and it was basically like ask the editor and the question was, how do you pronounce Mixias Pitalik? And so they phonetically kind of spelled it out. So that's what's always kind of stuck with me. And for me, it's always been the eighth episode of the second season of Superman, the animated series, which was written by Paul Dini, yeah. where Gilbert Gottfried was the voice of the character and they actually phonetically, like he even draws it out <laughs> in the in the cartoon phonetically and spells and pronounces it uh, syllable by syllable. Yeah. And I need to go back and watch the episode again. So that's always been my go-to about how to pronounce his name. Yeah, it's, a, it's the same thing like Rachel Ghoul, Ghul, al Ghul, or Bel Reeve, Bel Rev. You know, it's it's one of these things that <laughs> there's just going to be a bunch of different pronunciations out there, but Mixius Pitalik is right. Let's move on to some Lego Batman movie news. Yes. Uh, it has been confirmed by the director on Twitter that Billy D. Williams, who, as a matter of fact, played Harvey Dent in the 1989 Tim Burton Batman movie, will be voicing the character of Two-Face mm-hmm. in the Lego Batman movie. Oh, my God. That's, that's exciting. Cool. That is so cool. And Billy D. Williams, which I... <laughs> Tim over at Tim over at Beer with Geeks does an excellent Billy D. Williams impersonation. So shout out to him. But I'm so glad because that he's just such a fun actor. I'm so glad he's going to get to do this. Well, if you remember Tim Burton when he originally was doing the Batman films, uh, he first did you know of course Batman and then Batman Returns. Uh, his third film was supposed to actually be Billy D. Williams actually being Two Face, and of course he never did that third film. But this is so cool that they actually you know again just you know pay homage and and uh, just allow uh, a lot of these characters to actually come back and just you know kind of fulfill these little roles i know that is so awesome it's gonna be fun hearing it now this is something else i was really excited about on facebook yesterday on friday marv wolfman announced that he had just finished a recording at studio city of a sit-down conversation between him and george perez discussing the origins of the original judas contract storyline in new teen titans and of course after justice league dark judas contract is the next uh lineup in the DC direct-to-video animated films. And Marv Wolfman basically said, we filmed this conversation uh, for it to be a special feature on the DVD and Blu-ray release of the Judas Contract animated film. And I just got giddy, I have to say. Oh, I'm going to love seeing those two guys just kind of talk about this thing because, I mean, as a kid, I remember reading Judas Contract and I'm not going to get into the storyline because it's probably going to be brand new to most most of our listeners here. It's a great storyline and I hope they kind of stay pretty true to it and deal with, you know, especially the arc with Beast Boy. Uh, at the time, they called him Changeling. I want, they'll probably go with Beast Boy, I would imagine, right? Oh, well, because they, they already introduced uh, Beast Boy in uh, Justice League versus Teen Titans. Right, okay. And there's actually a post-credit scene with a certain character who's very integral to Judas' contract. Yeah. So they were already hinting at this okay. back in February when that movie came out. So this is going to be so fun, and especially, you know, for the love that we have of the comic book side of things, just seeing those two guys, George Perez and, and Marv Wolfman, it's going to be great. <laughs> Can't wait to get this, you know, pick this one up. Now, kind of interesting since we kind of started off the show mentioning Teen Titans Go. I think it's kind of funny that we're actually going to end the show yes. talking a little about Teen Titans Go. <laughs> um, okay, the show has always been great about Easter eggs in the background. Mm-hmm. If you've bothered to pay attention, it's amazing what they can cram into an 11-minute episode. Yeah. And and apparently last weekend when they had their new episode called TV Night, there was a whole bunch of really fun DCEU Easter eggs mm-hmm. hidden in the Batcave. Yeah. So how about you tell us about those, Tim? Well, of course, I mean, you know, the famous artifact in the Batcave is the giant penny. Well, in this Batcave, we have a giant penny, but it's a picture of General Zod, and it says, in Zod, we trust on it. And then, so it's got the picture of of Zod from Man of Steel, and the great thing about it, he's wearing a neck brace. (laughs) And he's got these little lightning bolts coming off the back of his neck, like, you know, implying that it hurts. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's a jar right next to it with a smiley face button with the blood smear, a total watchman. Button. DC Rebirth call out. That was amazing. And then this last one, it actually has Batman's phone, and in it you see his contact list. And top of the list is Gordon, then there's Harlan Quinn, then there's Jezebel. But the great one is number four and five is Martha Kay and Martha Wayne. <laughs> so you got Martha Kent and Martha Wayne, of course, in the phone. So again, another great little shout out here to obviously Batman v Superman here. Why'd you say that name? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this thing. This show is so great. If you guys, if, if it's not for you, that's fine but if you have kids you gotta you gotta get them to watch teen titans go it's such a great show it's such a funny show and, and it's stuff like this just makes it all the much better for you know us longtime fans is all that you know as, and especially on the dc film side it, just to see these little easter eggs in there i just completely love it so 
keep it up, guys. Keep it up. Well, that is it for this week's podcast. Thank yes. you guys so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. And I hope we, uh, I hope you learned something tonight. <laughs> yeah. That's what I sincerely hope. Yeah, the more you know. So, hey, guys. Dun, dun, dun. Yep. <laughs> the quickest way you can contact us is through the show's Twitter handle, at Suicide Squadcast. And you can reach me personally on Twitter, at Alan Fire. And uh, you can always reach me at ScottDC27. And you can always reach the show by email at SuicideSquadcast at gmail.com. Or you can join our Facebook page. Or maybe even start watching our YouTube channel, which has a total of one video on it. But <laughs> yes. there's something on it. There's something so. there. And someday we'll actually post a video. But I can tell you right now, the DC Comics Squadcast guys are going to be pretty active on that, So which is really cool. So what we've kind of decided to do here, since we'll talk about this real quick, we're combining our Facebook pages into one. And then we also have a shared YouTube channel. And so the between the three shows, uh, you know, the main show, Suicide Squadcast, and then DC TV Squadcast and DC Comics Squadcast, uh, all of us are just going to be able to just post stuff on there. So we're trying to kind of centralize where you can actually find the network. And it's so cool because Chris from DC Comics Squadcast does a cool mini review of Batman Annual Number 1 that just came out this past Wednesday. So I haven't watched it yet because I haven't read the issue yet, but I'm oh. looking forward to it. Oh, it's great. Chris is a natural. He's just doing a fantastic job over there with Jordan. So I can't wait to see those guys post some more. And then, you know, I think we're going to have to suck it up, Scott, and do a, a YouTube video at some point. Oh, I'm, I, I, I think I can handle that burden i really <laughs> think i can yeah well that's it guys if you feel like we deserve it please leave us a review on itunes and we are what seven away from the next giveaway we give away a dc trade paperback 15 dollars or less if you leave us a positive written review on itunes we you will automatically be entered so so guys thank you so much for listening be sure to tune in later this week as i know that we've got dc tv squadcast coming out with a talk about all the invasion crossover goodness and i do believe dc comic squadcast is down to their spotlight episode on superman which i cannot yeah wait to listen to that's gonna be a great one all right guys well that's it and uh, we hope you have a wonderful week and we will see you next week and in the meantime keep reading dc see you guys Scott, so we need to talk about this, man. Why do you think it's not Mixias Pitalik? I'm not saying it's not Mixias but I think it's Mixias Spitalik. I mean, that's... There's no S in it. Uh, well, no, but there's, but there's that... No, there's an X, which sometimes has a s sound. I mean, come on. Learn your... I mean, come on. It, it's all about pronunciation and phonics here, buddy. That's what it is. Um, well, I'll tell you what it is, is Mixias Pitalik. It, it's Mixias Spitalik. Okay, well, how do you... What is Mixias Pitalik backwards? Kiltitsism. Okay, and what's Scott backwards? Talks. Damn it! So I have no idea what your name Scott sounds like backwards. T um, Scott Tox 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 Tox. Yeah, that's that. That would be my name backwards. Tox.